Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's, it's not very often that... Um, in fact, I don't think it's ever happened before that I've been, like, third pick. Um, uh, but that's, my heart is just to uh, serve God's people and God's purposes. And um, it's, it's really fun, actually, as a dad to um, uh, have us have I got two sons we've got two sons and um, uh, but to be called on to fill in for one of them for speaking uh, is, is just great and I love it it's great to be here and I appreciate your love and enthusiasm I really feel it really feel welcome really feel at home actually which is good because there's people saying they've got T-shirts say welcome home. And I kind of feel like I'm at home and among friends. And it's great to be here. And um, uh, before I begin, uh, well, this will be part of my message, but it's a sort of a segue into it. And um, how many of you are aware of how prolific and abundantly the church in Iran is growing? You're aware that that's happening? You may not be. It doesn't make the news here very often. Uh, but I want to encourage you, uh, Dexter, you might like to have someone write this down, but there's a, at the end of this month in August, there'll be a documentary that will be publicly available on YouTube. It's called Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. It's produced by um, some people that I know. And uh, it's telling the story of what God's doing in Iran and how wonderfully the church is growing in an incredibly oppressive regime. So if you think it, if you find it a challenge to talk to people about Jesus here in Australia, have a think about people in Iran where if they get caught talking about Jesus, it could be uh, imprisonment, it could be beatings. And a couple of years ago, Julie, uh, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to go to Thailand and we met with some of the leaders of the underground church there. It's an amazing privilege that we got to do that. And uh, it's a story in itself of how God opened that door. And just hearing about how, how they go about this, it's, it's a little bit like a James Bond movie. Seriously, it's kind of like they've got um, burner phones that can't be traced back to them. Uh, like they have several different email addresses. That's probably no big deal for most of you. Uh, but, but they have ones and, and all these kind of things because they're all the time they're looking and they're saying, God, lead us to the person who's ready to receive you. And, and that's really... Uh, so I want to segue now back to the kind of content that I want to bring to you tonight, which is which is based on Acts 10, 34 and 43. But I want to pose the question, and if um, my, my PowerPoint guy is working, um, is my PowerPoint working? Yep. yep. Okay, can I have the next one, please? Okay, this is a question I want to put to you. Is evangelism hate speech? Is it hate speech? Uh, some people would say it is. And in fact, uh, there, was a, there was a survey done in, in the United States uh, that, uh, that actually your generation 
think it's wrong. These are Christians who attend Christian churches in America. They actually think it's wrong to try to convince someone of a different faith to give their life to Jesus Christ and become a follower of Christ. They actually think that's wrong. They think it's something to go. So let's go to this question. Is evangelism hate speech? Come on, the next one. Yeah, good. Good, we're tracking together. Let me tell you about Penn and Teller. How many of you have watched uh, Fuller? Yep, okay, there's p- plenty of Penn and Teller fans here. It's a good question. So, And um, uh, Pendulet, he's one half of the Penn and Teller uh, duo, if you know what I'm saying, and, and they've been involved in, in magic and doing all sorts of f- funny stuff for over 40 years. They've been doing it for a while. Now, Penn is a well-known atheist. Now, ma- not everybody knows that, but he is a well-known atheist. And a few years ago, he recorded a short video presentation where he was describing the time where this man came up to him uh, who'd been in their show, and he actually came up to him and he presented him with a Gideon New Testament. You know those red New Testaments? How many of you have ever seen received to seeing the Gideon New Testament. So uh, he was talking about that fact and he was given this um, New Testament by this Christian man who knew that Penn was an atheist. How, do you think you could give a New Testament to someone you know is an atheist? Public, they're a public atheist. They say that God does not exist. This man did this, he walked up to Penn, he complimented him on the show, he'd been in the audience the night before, he talked about it and he said, I really appreciate it, he was very complimentary and Penn talks about this on the video as he's recording this and and he said, I'd like to give you this Bible and I'd like to encourage you to read it. Now, Penn went on to say in this video, um, he said this, this is really interesting to me. He said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. In other words, he said, and that, that, if you're not familiar with that word, in other words, he said, I don't respect people who don't try to make me become a Christian. Uh, he says, if you believe there is a heaven and a hell, now this is an atheist speaking, if you believe there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. And then he, and then he said these two questions, and if I could have that slide go up behind me, he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I don't know what that does for you, but when an atheist tells me that, it shifts something. It goes, wow, what am I doing? I don't want to be awkward. I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be arrogant. But if I don't open my mouth and I do believe in heaven and hell and I do believe that I can, someone can move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and their whole eternity can be changed and I don't say something, I don't really believe it.
And so what I want to do is I, I want to actually teach you something. I, want, I hope this will help you to do this, help you explain. One of the things that's important to realize, and you probably already know this, when you show up somewhere, God's already there. He was there before you. He'll be there after you leave that place. He's already having a conversation with people. You're not starting the conversation. I found this really liberating. When I first learned this, the technical term for this is prevenient grace, which means grace is always preceding me. God's presence is always preceding me. So when I show up, I want to actually join the conversation that God's having with someone. I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to pick up in my spirit. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, what are you already saying to this person and how can I join you in that conversation? So therefore, I'm never the initiator. I'm always the second voice in the conversation or maybe the third voice. If there's, and there's other people that are speaking, but I want, to be, I want to be play my part. I want to speak into that. So it's a liberating thing to realize I'm not the initiator. I'm not the first voice. I'm just a voice in this process. I found that incredibly freeing when someone put that to me. And so when you come to this text from Acts 10, if I can have the next slide, and God ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. See, there's a bigger project going on, and... We, want to, we, we need to understand that. And um, my friend who led worship, who I just met tonight, great job, thank you very much. And that thing, teletessai, the Greek word, it is finished. You see, the God's got this cosmic redemption process going on. And Jesus, when he, com- he completed a significant stage of it at the cross, he purchased freedom for the whole of humanity. But there's a further bit that's coming. He's a king who's coming. So one of the things that, um, if I can have the next slide go up. Thank you very much. All right, you all have a worldview. Worldview answers three questions. It answers the question of origin, it answers the question of predicament, and answers the question of resolution. How did everything begin? How did it all get messed up? And how's it all going to be fixed? Right? So the gospel actually answers all those three questions in a way that no other belief system does. It tells us how everything got started, why the world is in such a mess and how it's going to be fixed. So one of the things that I like to do is, is to say to people, when I hear people, because sometimes you, uh, people will say things and they, they can be quite strong in their opinions and and uh, they'll say derogatory things about ne- about Christians. I don't know if that ever happens in your s- circle of influence. It happens in mine sometimes. And, uh, you know, there are, th- there are stories in the media. And one of the things that the media likes to do is to pres- paint certain stories in really bad ways. So, you know, Christians behaving badly is always good, big news as far as the media is concerned. Christians doing what Christians should do. Silence, media silence on that, right? And so when, when I hear someone going, ah, oh, those Christians, yeah, da, da, you know, 
in, rather than getting defensive, what I try to do is, is take the position of an inquirer. And what I mean by that is I wait for them to calm down, get through their rant and their tirade, and then I want to ask a question such as, do you know what Christians believe? Many times they don't. Or they'll say some kind of random things or whatever, but they actually can't. And so then I might, and then I'll try to ask a second question. Would you like to know what they believe? Yeah. If they say, no, not interested, uh, that's end of the conversation as far as I'm concerned. I don't try to force it on them. But if they go, if they say, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't know what Christians believe, but, and I would be interested, could you explain it to me? I'd be like, sure, I can do that for you. Can you do that? Great, you can do it. All right, well, that's the end of my... I don't need to say anything else. I was like, oh, good, done. Let's go home. Let's go have coffee. So um, if you've got a pen and paper, none of you got a pen and paper. You can take out a device. But let's put up the next slide here. Here we go. Three circles. What do Christians believe? How many of you have seen this before? How many of you know it? I hope you will at the end of tonight. You'll know it. Three, question, three circles, really easy. What do Christians believe? Okay, remember, what's the worldview doing? The worldview is explaining what? Origin, predicament, resolution. Okay, three circles. Could be, some, could be some overlap here. Let's go to the next one. Okay, we want to say everything begins with God's design. So from a biblical worldview, Christian worldview, it ought... What do Christians believe? We believe that God designed everything and God created everything. There's, in terms of a worldview, there's a natural worldview and a theistic worldview. Now, they're terms. In other words, a natural worldview says that everything occurred naturally, right? Evolution, all those kind of things. That's a natural worldview. There's no divine, in, there's no designer, there's no nothing. doesn't matter what you want to call it, there's no designer, right? The... The, op- the other worldview, which is not um, just unique to Christians, is what we call a theistic worldview, that there is a God. My friends in Iran, when they go to talk to people about Jesus, they do not have the conversation about whether God exists or not. They don't need to. Everyone believes that. Everyone knows that. I'm looking at a room full of people who have an origin in Asia, Your families and your worldview, you don't need to convince, in my opinion, in my experience, I don't have to convince Asians that there's a God. White Westerners like me, who've grown up in a, in a naturalistic, humanistic environment, social, uh, scientific rationalism, if you like, that's often a starting point. Have to convince me that God exists, Right? For many other places in the world, I don't have to. So I can begin, I can begin, I can talk about God's design. Now, I can unpack that in a lot more detail, but we don't have time tonight. But that's Genesis 1 and 2. God created everything, and it was really, 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 really good. That's the short version of it. Okay? It was amazing. No death. 
No sickness. Animals getting along well, not eating each other. Nutritious food in abundance, growing everywhere. Pick and eat anything you want except from one tree. Everything began beautifully. God's created humans to, be, to bear his image and likeness, which this is, what, this is how I think of that. God created us to be like a mirror that works in two directions. We, re, we worship him and we reflect him into the creation. So if you think about what's an image bearer, an image bearer is meant to do two things. Worship God and reflect the character of God into the world around about us. That's our job. Worship him and reflect him, show him all around about us. So that was God's design. The next one tells us, though, my next one's up there, thank you, that actually the world that we live in today is a world what we would call brokenness and beauty. It's a combination. There are some really beautiful things that are going on in the world, but there's lots of brokenness, man. It's really messed up. How did it get that way? Well, the image bearers, they said to God, we actually don't like our job description. We want to rule the world. We don't want to worship you. We just want to do our thing, our way. We'll take it from here very much, right? The Bible uses the word sin for that. You can use a lot of other words to, to explain it. But that's essentially what it means. It means that we said, I don't want that job description, God. I don't want to worship you. I want to worship me. I am wonderful. I want to worship me. And I'll, I'll decide what to look after and what to eat and what not to eat and all those other things, right? Now, very quickly after that, Everything, the Bible, the story, tell, the story continues through the Bible. Everything decays very quickly. Very quickly, we got murder, we got theft, we got rape, we got all these kinds of things. Humans are doing very, very destructive things to one another. So, the world that we live in today, when people say, Why does God let this happen? Uh, uh, excuse me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just back up that bus for a minute. Right? We have done this to ourselves. We have refused to live God's way. We refuse to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. We refuse to love the, our neighbours as ourselves. We refuse to treat other humans as we want to be treated. It's as simple as that. So the world we live in is this combination of brokenness and beauty. But we want out. And so what we try to do is we try to fix it. If I can go to the next one, up. And so we'll try different things. So people will think, oh, well, let's, let's take on all these different causes. Let's try to fix the world. Let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. So different social systems have been created around the world. Okay, There's a thing called socialism. There's a thing called communism. 
which is always to try to fix the world without God. So actually, all of these attempts, though, we find that they're a bit like a bungee cord. Who's ever done bungee jumping? Me neither. But I've watched people do it, right? It's like, you know, okay? So what happens is all of our attempts to make the world better actually rebound back on us and they don't actually fix the problem. Because the root issue is in all of our hearts. It's in my heart and it's in your heart. I want to do what I want to do. I do not want to worship God and I do want, don't want to reflect him into the world around about us. So we're stuck in this place. We try to fix things. We have people pop up. But you see, we're trying to so- what we're trying to actually get back to, we're trying to come back to God's design without God. Jesus is returning as a king to rule the earth. Many of the things that people are putting forward today, they're trying to say, I want the kingdom of God, all the good stuff, when Jesus, like when Jesus is king, but I don't want Jesus to be my king. It's not going to work. And that's why we find ourselves, we, you know, if you study human history, you see these periods where there are people of, of great hope and it's like, oh, at last, at last there's hope. Things are getting better, things are getting better, things are better, better, better. better. <clears throat> Just crashed and burned again, press reset, let's go again. And we go, and history has gone through these cycles. I want to just say to you as well, one of the encouraging things in the history of the human race is often in history when things are at their bleakest is when God breaks in with great renewal and revival. What we call, we call it revival, okay? So even if you think about the history of China, you know that God broke in with a great revival. Some people are talking about the fact that the, what God is currently doing in Iran, in a closed, suppressed country where, where the Christian God is, for, is forbidden, right? The Islamic system, there are millions of people coming out of Islam and what, who are they following? Oh, they're following a Jewish messiah, How's that for a conundrum? So God is at work in the world. Always remember the words of John. And John said, Jesus is the light of the world. This is John 1. He said, the light comes into the world and what? The darkness cannot extinguish it. Remember this doesn't matter how dark it gets. The darkness will never extinguish the light of Christ. It's impossible for darkness to overcome light. So then we come into the next bit of this journey. So we're coming into our three circles. So we're brokenness and beauty. We're stuck. But actually, God's provided an antidote in Jesus. And I've just been speaking about Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, he broke the power of sin and death. And so we're invited to change and to obey Jesus. And so this is what Christians believe. Remember, you're explaining this to a non-Christian, right? You're drawing your three circles, you're explaining to a non-Christian, hey, it all began with God's design, but then we abandoned that. So we live in a world of brokenness and beauty, but God didn't leave us to our own devices. Thank God. 
He sent, he came himself. Jesus is God in fleshed. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He suffered and bled and died and he was crucified and he was resurrected on the third day. He conquered sin and death. And now we're invited to get in on that act. Isn't that great? We, don't, we, can, we can leave off, the, we can cut the bungee cords of trying to fix the world by ourselves. We can just get on the Jesus program and work with Jesus in how he's changing the world through, through changing and obeying him. You don't have to be good to become a Christian. A lot of people that I meet and talk to, they go, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I'm like, no one's good enough to be a Christian, man. Give it up. That's just, that's your pride speaking. If you think you have to be good enough to be a Christian, it's because either you haven't understood what God has done for you or you're too proud to accept it. None of of us get into the kingdom of God by being good. A lot of you look like you travel internationally and you've probably got a passport, right? If you think of it, um, you're, uh, from, a, from a perspective of my passport is stamped, I, can, I will get to the border of the kingdom of God, if you like. Right? You do that border crossing thing, you know. You zip your passport into the E-gate. Right? Okay. And what, what the scanner is looking for is the blood of Christ. Is the blood of Christ on your passport, Wayne? That's the only question that I'm asking. If, if the blood of Christ is, if you're trusting in his work, not you, am I trusting in Jesus? Yes, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm not trusting me at all. So the gate opens. I'm going in to the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever because of Jesus. And so then the next slide will show that we enter where we are being restored. Now we're in this process now of, so this is what a Christian believes. And now because we've come to Christ and we're now being restored back as God's image bearers, now we can begin to live this new life. We can begin to be these holy people, living, showing people what it means to be an image bearer. Hey, this is how, this is how God originally created us to live to worship him and to declare how wonderful he is and he's changing me from the inside. So now my character is becoming like his character and now I can demonstrate by the way I interact with other people, I can show them what it's like to be an image bearer. And that's, that's the journey that we're invited into in Christ. And then, as we are being restored, the next slide will tell us we are being sent back into the world of brokenness and beauty to give other people hope. And we can go, that's the cycle, that's happening. So when someone says to you, what is it, when, someone, when you get the opportunity to say, how, would you like me to explain what a Christian believes? This is where you can start. You can start with three circles and you can just slowly fill in those blanks. Remember I asked a question about a worldview earlier on. I said what a worldview is answering the question of how did everything get started? Why is the world in a mess and how will the world be fixed? Three simple circles helps us do that.
I want to come back to Pendulette's questions earlier on. We said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not to tell them that? When I hear those words from an atheist, I'm challenged. I'm like, I can't keep silent. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be a sledgehammer, you know. I've seen the tactical response group when they do those drug raids in houses, you know. And all the guys, and they've got the helmets and all the things, and they run up to the door, and they have the, like, the battering ram thing, and they just, poof, they don't knock, right? Just smash the door, and they're in, you know, guns and, like... That's not Jesus. That's the TRG. They're doing their job. Then we need them to do their job, okay? But don't try to evangelize like the TRG. Like slam the door open and going, all guns blazing. Take the position of an inquirer. Say, would you like me to explain? And if they say yes, you know you are joining that conversation that God is already having with them. Always remember that. He's always working in the world around about us. We're just trying to hear his voice, join the conversation that he's having, knocking on the door, and when people open it, we go through. And we just talk. And it's really important to understand, it's not your job, it's not my job to get them over the line. I'm not a salesman for Jesus. I'm not trying to get them to sign up for Jesus. You know, because do you know what? This is what I learned. If it relies on me to get them across the line, it will rely on me to keep them across the line, so to speak. Right? But my confidence is in God. God does the work. God reveals Jesus to them. Peter just said, we're just witnesses. We're just telling you this. Well, there's a, it's, it's old because I'm old. And I, I heard this song when I was a, you know, in my 20s. Um, by a guy called John Fisher. Uh, and he said, I'm just one hungry beggar showing you where I found food. Yeah. It's powerful, you see? Like, uh, in other words, it's a statement of grace. I needed, I'm a hungry beggar. I found food. I'm just showing you where I found food, people. The food is Jesus. Jesus is the food. I'm just pointing you to Jesus. He's the one that satisfies your soul. He's the one that meets the deepest longings in your heart and in my heart. Could we pray together? Perhaps a worship team could come up. Just speak out to the Lord. Do you make a, make a commitment tonight? If you're someone that's been afraid to speak, you've been intimidated to speak for Jesus, would you just ask 
Jesus to help you break the power of that fear and intimidation in your life. Ask him to open your eyes to see and open your ears to hear the conversations that he's already having with people. Ask Jesus to to stir up love in your heart for people. That your love for them would be stronger than your fear. Your fear of social awkwardness. That your love for Jesus and your love for people, because you really do believe that this is serious things. That there really is a heaven and a hell. There really is eternal life and eternal death. There really is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And you want people to enter the kingdom of Jesus. And to experience all that's promised when Jesus returns. And he comes to rule the earth. And set up his kingdom on earth. And heaven and earth are reunited back into one and there'll be no more sickness and no more death and no more hatred no more injustice no more poverty no more famine there'll be water and food for all and shelter and comfort and safety for all that's the message We proclaim in Christ that in Him, God is restoring the world. And God is in making His invitation to people who are lost and they're like sheep. They're going their own way. And we're saying, here's the way. Here's the way. And Father, I pray for Oikos Church. I ask you, Lord, to fill every single person in this room tonight with a love that's deeper for you than they've ever known before. I ask you, Father, to take the root system of their lives deeper into the soil of your marvelous, eternal, vast love. It's a love, Father, that's so big they'll never fully comprehend it, just as I have not fully comprehended it. But Father, I ask that you'd give us all a greater taste of the the enormity of it, the vastness of it, the height of it, the width of it, the length of it, the depths of it. And that each and every one of their lives will be anchored that the root system of their lives will go deeper into that and out of that the the tree of their life will grow up strong, powerful and tall, rooted in the love of God, strengthened in the love of God and filled with a boldness and a courage that can't be taken away through fear and intimidation. Father, I ask you that love will abound 
in all of our hearts more and more for you and for one another and for the people all around about us. Lord, help us in this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.